0: Welcome to Silicon Valley trends, the podcast for entrepreneurs, innovators and investors published by Silicon Valley Business School. I'm your host, David Smith at Silicon Valley Business School. We provide affordable real world online business education to everyone everywhere and guide entrepreneurs towards success with their startup ventures. In this episode, I explain what drives the price of stock market shares. I decided to record this episode after my son started investing in the stock market and asked me some basic questions. So this is for him and anyone else that might be new to investing in stocks or generally interested in pricing and valuation. We'll learn that the share price is driven by a number of factors, including the value of the company, the company's earnings, also known as profits, dividends, the company's balance sheet, economic forces of supply and demand, future expectations and predictions, information about the company and its prospects. We'll also learn that market momentum can drive prices beyond fundamental reasoning. We'll learn that the share price is usually driven up when a company is acquired and that volatility sometimes drives the trading and the market price of shares. So let's start with the value of the company. The share price is driven by the value of the company. As a company becomes more valuable, its share price increases, and as it becomes less valuable, its share price falls. Looking at the stock prices today, I see that Amazon shares are trading at $2,379 while Apple shares are $310. But Apple's market capitalization is $1.3 trillion where Amazon's is $1.2 trillion. Although Amazon's stock price is much higher than Apple's, Apple is worth more than Amazon. That's because Apple has issued a lot more shares than Amazon. In fact, it might make sense for Amazon to do a stock split, like ten to one, because there may be more investors capable of buying shares priced at two hundred and thirty eight dollars each than there are able to buy shares at two hundred at two thousand three hundred and seventy nine dollars each. So answering one of my son's first questions the share price does not reflect the overall value of the company. A company with a low stock price can be worth much more than a company with a high price per share, as it depends on how many shares the company has issued. You can imagine that a share is a slice of the total market value of a company. The value of the company drives the value of the shares and the market capitalization is the total value of all the company's shares. Technically, the market value of a company and the capitalization are not exactly the same. You see, the value of a company, like the value of a car or a house, is often open to debate. You might think your car is worth $30,000, but the local car dealer at the end of your street thinks it's worth $20,000. The market capitalization of a company is the total number of shares multiplied by the share price. Where the market value can be a little fuzzy, market capitalization can be be calculated without dispute. It's the number you get when you multiply the number of shares by the market price of those shares. So the value of the shares is driven by the value of the company. And the market capitalization figure that you see online is a good approximation for the value of the company. The value of the company and its shares are driven by the company's earnings, otherwise known as profits. Amazon's P.E. ratio today is 113, where Apple's is 24. This refers to the price-to-earnings ratio. And it means that Amazon's market capitalization is 113 times its earnings and Apple's market capitalization is 24 times its earnings. If Apple made $1 billion in earnings, its value would be $24 billion with a 24 multiple, whereas Amazon would be worth $113 billion if it produced the same earnings as Apple. In other words, if both companies made the same profits with 113 multiple, Amazon would be worth almost five times as much as Apple with its 24 multiple. We use these P-E ratios to value companies all the time. If you had a company like Apple and you wondered what its value might be, you'd take the company's earnings and multiply them by 24 to get the value. That's because companies like Apple can be assumed to be valued, like Apple, at 24 times earnings. When I look at the Apple v. Amazon PE ratios, I'd personally feel more comfortable buying Apple than Amazon because a PE ratio of 24 is somewhat normal and a PE ratio of 113 is highly unusual. Look at it this way you were to put your hand in your pocket and it would have to be a deep pocket to buy Apple and you paid 1.3 trillion dollars for all Apple's shares at the current run rate and a PE ratio of 24 it would take 24 years for you to recover your purchase price through collecting earnings but if you bought Amazon it would take you 113 years to get your money back I find it useful to look at the P.E. ratio when comparing companies in similar businesses. So when I look at Netflix today, I see its P.E. ratio is 88, whereas Disney, which is in a similar business except for the theme parks, has a P.E. ratio of 36. I thought Disney was a better buy than Netflix based on the P.E. price, as it has more upward potential. So I recently bought Disney shares and I'm not convinced Netflix or any company can sustain a PE ratio of 88, especially when it's facing fierce new competition. Another way of looking at the ratio between the value of the company and its earnings is the earnings per share. The earnings per share, or EPS, shows how profitable a company is by dividing the profits or earnings by the number of shares. A company with high earnings per share is generally healthier than a company with a low EPS. The earnings of a company are disclosed through its income statement, otherwise known as the profit and loss statement. This shows how much revenue was generated, and the income is the profits left after the costs have been accounted for. The other statement you're going to have to take into consideration is the balance sheet. The balance sheet drives the stock price, where the income statement shows the activity of a company over a period of time, like a quarter or a year, the balance sheet is a snapshot at a point in time. Imagine you're holding both your hands out. In your right hand, you have all the company's cash. On top of the cash, you're holding the other assets like real estate, equipment, stock, etc. Yes, you'd need pretty large hands. In your left hand, you have the bills and debts owed by the company. For a healthy company, the cash and assets in your right hand should be a lot heavier than the debts and liabilities in your left hand. When reading the balance sheet, you'll see different categories. Current assets include cash and other assets that can be quickly converted into cash. Current liabilities are debts that need to be paid soon. Long term assets might be things like real estate that cannot be converted into cash very quickly. As the company produces more profits and becomes healthier and you look at each balance sheet snapshot over time, you'll find that the assets in your right hand get heavier and the liabilities in your left hand get lighter. Those changes in the fundamental financials should drive the value of the company and its shares in an upward direction. Let's look at dividends. Dividends drive the share price. Another curious thing about Amazon, considering its crazy stock price, is that it has never ever paid a dividend on its shares. Traditionally, when a company makes a profit, and has more cash than it needs, it pays some of the surplus cash to its shareholders in the form of a dividend. A company with a hundred million outstanding shares that pays a dividend of hundred million dollars will pay a one dollar dividend on each share. So shareholders are accustomed to receiving annual dividends on their shares. Higher dividends create demand for the shares and drive up the share price. Although it's traditional for profitable companies to pay a dividend, they're not required to pay any dividends at all. And it's up to the management to decide if the company really does have more cash than it needs to fund future growth. At Amazon, Jeff Bezos has been more interested in investing in future growth than making a profit. All the cash generated by Amazon has been invested in future growth. Not one dime has been paid to shareholders in the form of a dividend. This is not unusual in the tech sector where investments in research and development require huge sums of cash. Microsoft took 28 years before it paid a dividend and investors have grown accustomed to holding shares that don't yield dividends in the tech sector. Having looked at the anomaly of Amazon Companies that pride themselves on generously rewarding shareholders with consistent and sometimes increasing dividends each year are very popular with investors, especially investors who buy and hold stock for the long term. Dividends certainly attract investors. Companies that declare dividends are generating surplus cash, so they're considered financially healthy and safe bets by investors. When there's an increase in demand from investors without a corresponding increase in supply of shares, the stock price is going to go up, which brings us on to our next point. The share price is driven by supply and demand for the shares. The first thing you learn about economics in a free market is that the price of anything is driven by the forces of supply and demand. When you add more buyers to a market without a corresponding increase in the number of sellers they tend to bid the price up when you add more sellers they compete against each other to sell and they bid the price down the price of company shares is driven by the number of competing buyers and sellers buyers and sellers are human and they tend to flock as we will discuss a little later on as panic selling can push the price down in what's known as a bear market, where excited buying can push the prices up in what's known as a bull market. Buying, selling and share price fluctuations are driven by information available to investors. Buyers and sellers make their decisions to buy or sell based on information they receive. Before I get into the reason why accurate disclosure of company information to investors is such a big deal, let's talk about Martha Stewart and her five month jail term. Martha was a shareholder in a drug company called Imclone. When Imclone's CEO learned that the company's cancer drug was not going to get approval from the US Food and Drug Administration, he and his family started selling their Imclone shares. They tipped off a broker who tipped off Martha Stewart and she offloaded her shares before the bad news was released. Hit the market and caused the stock price to plummet. Martha Stewart and the CEO's family took advantage of inside information that was not available to the general public and this is considered a pretty serious crime in the US and most of the countries across the world insider trading of shares is unfair as the person who bought Martha's shares was at a disadvantage because he didn't have the benefit of the same information as Martha and the ImClone insiders. Insider trading used to be a big problem on the stock market. Another problem was pump and dump schemes where unscrupulous characters would buy shares hype up the stock with fake news then after pumping up the price they would dump the stock on unsuspecting investors. After many small investors lost their shirts in the stock market crash of 1929 a new government agency called the Securities Exchange Commission was formed and new laws enacted to protect investors. These securities regulations are designed to level the playing field and protect the outsiders as well as company insiders by making sure all investors are provided with full and accurate information on a company, its performance and its prospects. Pump and dump schemes and insider trading carry massive jail terms. Violators of SEC regulations can get longer jail terms than rapists and murderers. It's hard to dispute that the share price reflects information available on the company, its earnings, its balance sheet, and its prospects. However, there's a school of thought that says that all possible information about a company is reflected in its share price. The efficient market theory says that the share price reflects all the information on the company and the market. Like swarm intelligence, the proponents of this school of thought believe it's not possible to outwit the market and buy shares below their true value because the true value is baked into the share price. I'm not sure what you think about this, but I can't help thinking that some investors are not aware of all the information about a company. And even if they do read every piece of information published about a company and its financial situation, there are some investors who don't know how to interpret the numbers and the other information they receive. As I record this, we've just seen the stock market tank as a result of the COVID-19 shutdown of the whole economy. I was familiar with Zoom after reviewing all the various video conference solutions to choose one for our online tutoring. And after using Zoom for some time, I had information that most other investors didn't have. Not because I was an insider, but because I knew how invaluable Zoom would be in this lockdown scenario. I bought Zoom stock, not because I thought its company valuation was reasonable, but because I could see the Zoom stock price responding when more investors are forced to use Zoom instead of face-to-face meetings, and they realized what a useful tool it would be. This brings me up to my next point expectations drive the share price. The Zoom stock price didn't bump up immediately after the COVID-19 lockdowns were announced. I saw that the PE ratio was over a thousand which is ridiculous. If you bought the company it would take you more than a thousand years to get your money back through earnings assuming of course that earnings stay as they are today. So Zoom was overpriced by any metric. It was a crazy stock to buy but I anticipated investors flocking into Zoom stock when they started using it and see their friends and colleagues using it in the COVID lockdown. I bought Zoom at $107 and watched the price increase quickly. When it reached $164 in just a few weeks and the PE ratio hit more than 1,900, I bailed out, selling all my Zoom shares but making a nice profit along the way. The point here is that stock prices and buying activity like mine in this example are driven by expectations and predictions of how investors will behave. If you can predict trends in share buying and selling activity you can figure out when to buy and when to sell and you can stay ahead of the crowd. It's a dangerous game though as people can be unpredictable Sir so Isaac Newton is considered one of the smartest people to have ever lived. He invented calculus, figured out gravity and conceptualized his three laws of motion. However, he lost a fortune on the stock market. When asked about it, he famously replied, I can calculate the motions of heavenly bodies, but not the madness of the people. People buy and sell shares and they sometimes do things that don't seem to make much sense. Which brings me on to Tesla. Tesla has a market capitalization of over $150 billion as I record this. You'll not find a PE ratio when you look at Tesla financials, because Tesla makes no profit, and you can't calculate an earnings ratio when there are no earnings at all. In 2019, Tesla lost $826 million. General Motors, on the other hand, has a market capitalization of just $34 billion, where it generates strong earnings and has a P.E. ratio of just seven. When you look at the fundamentals, it doesn't make any sense for Tesla to be worth more than four times General Motors. When Tesla's burning up cash, GM is profitable, generate six times as much revenue as tesla but investors have great expectations for tesla and they obviously believe the share price will continue to go up if isaac newton couldn't understand or predict the buying and selling activity of stock market investors it's something that might be beyond us mere mortals we can get lucky now and again but the best investment strategies can get caught out by the unpredictable volatility of the markets because we're dealing with humans. They have emotions, they're driven by greed and fear, they can hold stock for sentimental reasons or sell because they see others selling. Their decisions can be irrational. Which brings me on to my next point. Market momentum can drive prices beyond fundamental reasoning. In some industries, the winner takes all. eBay's a good example. eBay won the race to set up an online marketplace where people could trade goods. Once eBay was established as the leader, the other online auction sites essentially all died because eBay had more sellers, more products, more buyers, and it made no sense to go anywhere else. YouTube created an online platform for sharing videos somewhat similar to eBay because video publishers and viewers are all attracted to the leading platform and the smaller competitors will eventually die. Google paid 1.65 billion dollars with a B for YouTube as a two-year-old startup before YouTube had any substantial revenues and earnings were still a distant dream. That's a crazy price. However, YouTube had market momentum and Google could see that YouTube was going to win the race to establish the leading video sharing platform and Google realized this was a winner-takes-all race. Market momentum is a magical force when it comes to startups and the Earnings Multiple or Revenue Multiple Valuation Metrics like the P-E Ratio are thrown out of the window when you're dealing with massive momentum and market segments where the winner takes all. Market momentum can drive investors into a frenzy and drive the stock price beyond any fundamental reasoning. Although they were not publicly traded at the time, the value of YouTube shares certainly increased when Google came shopping. And the next point is that the share price is usually driven up when a company is acquired. When one company wants to acquire another one, it needs to buy a large number of that target company's shares. Sufficient to take control, replace the board of directors and management teams. We'll talk about the details of mergers and acquisition transactions in a future episode. But the point is, that an acquisition creates a major increase in demand for the target company's shares. As we discussed earlier, an increase in demand without a corresponding increase in supply pushes up the price. And the share price of a company usually increases when it's the target of an acquisition. To buy control of a company with shares trading on the stock market, investors have to make enticing bids usually paying a premium over the market price. Statistics show that, on average, the stock price of companies that were being acquired increased 36% over a four-week period running up to the acquisition. As the share price of the target company increase in the run-up to them being purchased, the share price of the acquiring company tend to head in the opposite direction and decline during this time so buying shares in companies that are about to be acquired would be a good investment. But of course you don't know which ones are targets for acquisition and if you did get a tip you might be breaking the rules around insider trading. Martha Stewart would probably advise you against that. The stock price of companies in mergers and acquisitions rise and fall and you can sometimes profit from the volatility. In fact There are investors and funds that specialise in fluctuating markets. And the final point today is that volatility sometimes drives the trading and market prices of shares. I have a friend involved in a fund that monitors the various global markets for Bitcoin. When Bitcoin in a London exchange is lower priced than it is in a New York exchange, they buy in London and immediately sell in New York, at a profit. You'd think the price would be the same in all the exchanges across the world but in practice it takes a little time for markets to synchronize their prices and for people who move fast this can create an opportunity called arbitrage. Arbitrage is most profitable when the markets fluctuate rapidly. Volatility drives trading for these players and as we learned earlier Buying and selling affects the price of shares. In summary, here are the things we've discussed today. The share price is driven by the value of the company. The value of the company and its shares are driven by the company's earnings, otherwise known as profits. The company's balance sheet drives the share price. The price is ultimately driven by supply and demand for the shares. Expectations of future buying and selling behavior drive buying and selling today. Market momentum can drive prices beyond fundamental reasoning. The share price is usually driven up when a company is acquired. And volatility sometimes drives the trading and market price of shares. You can learn more about the valuation of startups as well as public companies by visiting our Silicon Valley Business School website at svbs.co. The courses on valuation, finance and accounting, business organizations and SEC and securities regulation, dig into some of these topics in much greater detail. My book on valuation, Dollar Value, is also available for free on the tynax.com site. I hope you'll find this useful and you'll join us for future podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe so you get new episodes as and when they're released. And please rate us in your podcast player, as this will help us get the word out to entrepreneurs, investors, and the other people we're trying to help with this podcast series. That's it for today. Hope you tune in to the next Silicon Valley Trends, the podcast for innovators, entrepreneurs, and investors.